I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. This podcast is an expression of our shared connection. We depend on you, our community of listeners, for support. Please go to mindpodnetwork.com/suryadas and you can either click on the donate button or bookmark the Amazon link. We get a small percentage of all of your purchases. Or you can go and sign up for a free trial with Audible.com. Your support will allow Lama Suryadas to continue to illuminate the timeless Tibetan wisdom. Today's sermon comes from the yellow Dakini scrolls, the ancient yellow book, the yellow pad of scribblings that oneself can't read, at least without glasses and coffee. <laughs> oh, it's the degenerate age. Tibetans, literally, this is a trend, they call it the age of dregs. I hope they're not thinking of us. <laughs> you know, it's what's left, the age of remnants. But that's just one way of looking at it. That's not the Dzogchen approach where this is the golden age. Every moment, the golden age, you know, like of, of Buddha himself sitting under the tree. So we've been chanting the Buddhist heart mantra, the Bodhicitta mantra, Omani Padme Hung, literally the jewel in the lotus, with so many different levels of meaning, the Buddha within. Nirvana within samsara, the light within shadow, shadows are nothing but light. Kingdom of heaven right here in this nitty gritty world. The Buddha within each of us, the Buddhaness, innate, excuse me, not just potential, but present in each of us. Not just potential, but present in each of us. 
pointing to the bu the, the boo meditation and action of the great perfection, the innate grape confection, how sweet it is. Not that we have to wait till we die to sit at the right hand of Buddha or go to a worse place, as some might think or believe. Not many lifetimes schlepping to enlightenment, as some may think or believe. But direct access, the Vajra shortcut, the diamond cutting, the Vajra shortcut, the direct portal, the hyperjump, hyperlink to it. The Vajra shortcut, as they say in Tibetan. The short path, direct access to our Buddhiness here and now. Groundless and boundless, infinite, omnipresent, well pervasive, and yet not a thing. Our infinite Buddhiness, our Buddha nature, our true nature. Not just foreign Buddhist or Asian, Oriental, Indian male nature like Buddha 2,600 years ago, God nature, but our true authenticity and spirit, our inner light, clear light, whatever you want to call it, it's still a sweet. Our inner divinity, the Godhead, our Buddha nature, the Christos, the light, not just Jesus Christ, a person who lived 2,600 years ago, who sat under a Bodhi tree or some kind of one thing and got enlightened or whatever. Embodying the way for us all. Like to go beyond our ego, to die to ourselves and realize our transcendent total, transcendent being, transpersonal being. Our source, not just the reflections, moment temporary reflections in this world. This Saha world, as we say in Sanskrit, this floating dewdrop like world, transient, evanescent, like floating dewdrop like world, Saha, like a bubble world. Beautiful, glistening, juicy, yet so poppable, so tenuous, like the dewdrops on blades of grass, as it says in the Mahayana Prajnaparamita Sutra. Like dewdrops glistening on blades of grass in the morning at dawn, about to evaporate, or like bubbles on a passing stream or waterfall. And other images of transience, contingency, evanescence, impermanence, unreliability, unsolidity, and so forth, non-graspability. Yet beautiful when they're there. As the Zen poet Issa says, <clears throat> I forget what he said, but his thousands of poems about bugs. Life is so fleeting, like a dewdrop. And yet, and yet, that's the isness. That's the bit that Dzogchen grabs a hold of. The emptiness that we can get our teeth into, the clear light teachings. Not just the dark, the emptiness, the suffering, Dharma, but the positive Dharma, the clear light, something we can get our teeth into, our Vajra teeth, not just our fake teeth, our cavity-filled teeth, our capped teeth, or whatever we have, our bridges, whatever they are, implants, just looking around the room, or, or no teeth, our gums, some that we can really gum, get our teeth into. 
not, not just the vacuum chamber emptiness, but the luminous effulgent void, the isness, the clear light, something we can appreciate in, through everything, through every mirage, dream, glistening bubble, sparkle, froth on the waves. The more waves, the better surfing. The more interesting is the sea. Why suppress it? So this is the basis of Dzogchen view, and thus practice or meditation, non-meditation, not just trying to close our eyes, close our ears, close our mind, weed everything out, and then get down to it. What's there? What's it? What's left? When we white out the whole world, then what? Snow blindness, not great shunyata, infinite openness. No, that's like snow blindness, not the white light. There's a difference. We need discernment, discrimination in so many of these things. So we don't mistake the near enemies for the thing itself, like mistaking indifference and complacence for equanimity and spiritual detachment, like mistaking quietism for great peace, like mistaking nihilism for the understanding of great shunyata or the infinite void or intangibility. So this is a path of wisdom and discrimination as well as of heart, of love, of connection, of oneness, of truth and love, as we say in Western religions. Truth and love or wisdom and compassion, as we say in Buddhism, the two wings of the bird, the bodhisattva, winging to enlightenment or winging in the space of freedom and delight. So we've been practicing, chanting, completing our practice session, but the main practice session is what I want to talk about, the instructions of Dzogchen meditation, the view of things as they are, leave it as it is, the meditation of non-meditation, of letting it be, of open and awareness, and the action of enjoying everything, spontaneous flow of your own natural state, not trying to per, uh, fabricate or create any particular state, like concentrating and calming and clearing your mind so that there are no thoughts. That's just a temporary state, not the united state of mind. Like bliss or clarity or, or um, loving-kindness or anything, even the positive states, compassion, we're not cultivating those temporary states in the main portion of Dzogchen meditation, of natural meditation, of natural awareness. Yes, we end, we go out singing, we begin with aspirations and all. But in the main part of the practice, naked awareness itself, that is the higher power, that's the freedom and liberation. That's the Alpha and Omega Buddhist practice. You could take this to the bank what I'm saying. This is the sunlit clearing at the center of the dense thicket and jungle of the 84,000 Dharma teachings and practices and doctrines. Not to mention all the other doctrines and practices of the world beyond Buddhism with its 84,000 teachings, as they say. This is the sunlit clearing at the middle of it all and the space in between the trees, the branches, the roots, the fruits, flakes, and nuts of the whole jungle. The space that's always there, even inside. If we look deeper with our viewy, electronic, microscope-like, incisive awareness. Even the solid things that seem to be there, that seem so dense, dense jungle. How can I ever get through it? It's mostly space with a few little 
molecules, electrons, protons, photons, neutrons, whatever they are, quarks, dorks, and narks flying around, mostly space that we can pass right through when we know how, when we realize there's nowhere to go and nothing to get, and that we too are mostly space. Things get much more spacious, luminous. Even dark is light. Shadows are nothing but light. The black light is luminous, like when you close your eyes and you see the inner incandescence sparkling. Not so dark in there if you really attend, because awareness is sheer lucency, nothing more. So we're practicing this natural meditation, the view meditation and action or conduct activity of this great perfection, Dzogchen, the natural great completeness, the luminous great consummation, Dzogchen. Not trying to create or fabricated temporary states of mind, however positive in this Dzogchen practice. At other times, yes, definitely transforming our attitudes, purifying our impurities, eroding selfishness, cultivating generosity and loving kindness, compassion, etc. at other times, of course. But right now we're doing something special that we don't usually do, that we don't hear about in Christianity, which has plenty to say about generosity and loving kindness and unselfishness, etc. Now we're doing something a little different and might I say special, rare, if not unique. This Dzogchen practice this innermost teaching of the high Tibetan Buddhism, the penthouse of the Vajrayana, the non-dual teaching, mysticism, direct mysticism, direct access to the Godhead, the Buddhaness within, not congregational dharma, not intellectual studies, academic studies and theology, not just prayer, not just meditation, but wisdom, awareness, practice. Anyway, <clears throat> beginning here with the basic instructions, I know there's some of you who are new to this, newish, or haven't been to a Zogchen retreat before, even if you meditate and do yoga, etc. Of course, all of these things are very similar and overlapping, and the essence of it all is probably the same. practicing this natural awareness, innate wakefulness practice of cultivating the ore, refining the gold from within, as it were. Within doesn't just mean within oneself, narcissistically, solipsistically, self-centeredly, but by looking deeper, the light within the shadows, also relational mindfulness, the light within everything and everyone and every interaction, refining the gold, through view, seeing the light, the gold, the light, the clear light, the divinity, the Buddhaness in everyone and everything, every moment. Outer and inner, not just in your children that you love or your pet that you love, but also in the other beings, loved and unloved. That's the challenge, isn't it? Yet it's a necessity, sooner or later, if we're going in the direction we're talking about. If this resonates with us, it's big, the big love beyond like and dislike, including the enemies, critics, competitors, including the difficult things that we don't like, illness, 
insects, spiders, snakes, sharks, you know, not just loving the dolphins. So this basic meditation of non-meditation from this view of the great perfection or the, the great completeness, the natural lawful unfolding of things just as they are, the great flow, the great Tao, divine leela as they call it perhaps in Hinduism, the, the divine sport, the divine dance, the magical display. God's magical display, the great dance of everything. In this view of the bigger picture, coherent, the whole mandala, the light and the dark, the great chiaroscuro, not just the white, not just the likable, not just the desirable, not just our predilections, not just vanilla, but all the fruity, tutti, nudi colors and flavors and shapes, not just vanilla. I'm talking ice cream. It's all good in the great perfection. It all has its place in the store of one taste, delicious ice cream. From this view comes the meditation of non-meditation, of natural body, just sitting, natural breath and energy, not special breathing, breath of fire, breath holding, breath circulating, or anything else. Natural breathing and aware of it. Natural body, just sitting, or for that matter, just standing, or for that matter, just walking, or just eating, or just toothbrushing, or just farting, shitting. Just, that's the justness, the righteousness here, not self-righteousness, the natural rightness of everything. Just it as it is. The true work is whatever needs to be done. Just do it, just that. No more, no less. Not trying to do as much as possible or as little as possible. Buddha's touchstone teaching is the middle way. Not too tight or too loose, not too much or too little. Not too nihilistic, not too materialistic. A way of balance and appropriateness. So in this meditation, non-meditation, natural body and aware of it and its sensations and all the natural breath and energy and natural heart-mind aware of whatever momentarily presents itself in the body-mind continuum in the present moment in the field of consciousness. The three naturals, the three pillars of natural meditation. The view, meditation and action. The view, which is like the Buddha, the Dharmakaya. The meditation of non-meditation, which is like the Dharma, with so many forms, really formless dharma of everything, the truth of reality as it is, and the action, the sangha, embodiment, compassion and action, appropriateness, doing what needs to be done, etc. action, conduct, the manakaya. This includes Buddha, dharma, sangha, and the three Buddha realms, dimensions, bodies, kayas, all in one, just in this simple, looks like we're doing nothing, Natural meditation practice. Yeah, it's so rich, it's so deep. It's so not obvious until it is. Then it's totally obvious. Trunk Rinpoche called it self-secret. It's the secret teachings. How can you read and understand this from a book? It seems too good to be true. It's hard to believe. What? I don't have to do anything? I don't have to light a candle and bow down? I don't have to build a high building to get closer? 
I don't have to cross my legs? What? Who ever heard of such a radical dharma? Did Buddha really teach that? Or just some Tibetans got too high on too much oxygen, living in a cave, living on barley flour without any proteins? The inner lawyer has a lot of uh, objections. And yet, there it is. If it resonates with you, if it doesn't, we have many, many, many supportive practices, wonderful meditation practices to support this, of course. Balancing the earthy, nitty-gritty embodiment of side of it all with ethics, with good living, with compassion and action, with yoga and healthy activities, with the mystical, rarefied oneness, awareness, naked awareness teachings that needs no candle or altar, just the inner light. It needs no offering except non-attachment, the ultimate generosity, and so forth. There needs no chant except the sound of the wind and the sound of one's own breath, etc. So that's what we're practicing here. I'm going to be talking about this all week, staying on this as much as I can. This is important to me. I believe in it. This is what we do at Dzogchen retreats here. There are other retreats. There are other kind of practices, of course, not to belittle or deny them. This is the specialty of Dzogchen, the natural awareness, the Buddhaness within, the direct access. Not doing, but being Buddha now. Primordial Buddhahood, not Buddhahood later after many lifetimes. Primordial Buddhahood from the beginning, from the first. Pre-enlightened enlightenment. Buddha before you realize you're enlightened. Sleeping Buddha before you awaken. Still Buddha, same water, different state, like ice and water as the Zen master sings. Same H2O, just a different state. Problem is most of us are sleeping Buddhas, getting caught up in believing in our dreams and nightmares, or even believing in our good dreams, which are also very temporary and thin and unreliable, rather than awakened Buddhas. Or we have our awakened moments So, <clears throat> we begin and end the sessions with some chanting, prayers, breathing exercises. Don't get confused. The main practice is this natural meditation that's based on the three naturals, three pillars of natural meditation of body, speech, and body, breath, and mind. Every session in Tibetan Buddhism usually has these three parts. The beginning, the middle, and the end. The beginning warm-up exercise of prayers with concepts and words and chants and breathing exercise to warm up. And then at the end, going out singing and praying and praising. But the main practice is the naked, non-conceptual awareness practice in the middle. That's what we're doing here, I'm emphasizing. So I hope you can get into it, enjoy it. Any questions, please? How do you tell the difference between resting in the moment and sloth? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, since you're asking, that's a good sign. But that is a near enemy, sloth and torpor and, and spacing out is a near enemy of being in the moment. But um, first of all, let's start from the top, swooping down from above. When are we ever not in the moment? Where else can we be? But we don't know, not always aware of it, right? Like if we're in a coma, if we're in deep sleep, it's hard to say we're in the moment, although you know, there's nowhere else to be. So that's a nice theoretical 
ideal, but we're not really awake to the moment. We're asleep, you know, if you're asleep at the wheel, it's hard to say you're in the moment until you awaken with a crash and you're more present. So it's good to look into those things. What does it mean to be in the moment, awake or asleep at the wheel of your life? So sloth and torpor are nice old-fashioned words. You know, we might use other words today, but they come to the same thing. So we're fairly familiar with that, them. What's the difference between, you know, sleeping in and can't get out of bed because you're depressed? There's a difference. It's good to look into if you have those things going on. So what's the difference between being vividly present 100%? I don't know. When are you most present and alive? you have any, anything come to mind? Probably yoga. Probably yoga. Right. So, when you're meditating, there's a way of being relaxed and yet dynamically present. At, you know, it's a very active, I don't know, Charles Yudnu translates Mahamudra's gesture of awareness, so it's kind of an inner yoga movement. You know, like, um, what happens when you're in yoga? If we say the word yoga, perhaps, probably we're thinking of physical yoga of some kind, so we think of movement, but actually, most of yoga is sitting in the posture, right? So are you awake, alert in the moment when you're holding, sitting, resting in the asana? Or are you slothfully dozing and kind of asleep at the wheel of the asana? What do you say? I'm usually in so much pain that I'm definitely in the moment. Yeah, right. So that's why, that's the rigpa of pain. Not the pain is good. That's the rigpa of pain. That's the awakeness of pain. Just like a pleasure. That's the awakeness component. That's why it's good. That's why everything is the path. We don't have to weed out pain and pleasure so we can have a nice middle way of nice, calm, you know, awareness, mindfulness or something. So try to use your own experience and see the difference. So when you're meditating, are you in pain or are you just sitting there happy as a clam because you're used to, you're used to the Seiza female sitting posture that you're using? There's always something going on. Isn't it? So that's the rigpa something going on. So it's hard to fall asleep when something's going on. So maybe the going on is better than the, than the white out or the, you know, blot out that somehow some meditators think we should seek. Thought swatting, you know, try to get to no thought. No thought is just one more temporary state. So perhaps you can use all of this goings on to be more awake to it and overcome sloth and torpor. Of course, if you're, sloth, if you're sleepy, sluggish, you can always do some breathing to revivify and re-energize the whole system not just with oxygen, which helps, but also with prana, you know, energy and other things. It takes attention and intention to do it, so that also wakes up and energizes you, the attention and intention part. So let me ask you another question. When you're done with these painful, disgusting, horrible, you know, yoga postures that you pay to go to with love and wish you could go more to, yes? What do you do at the end there? What painful disgusting yoga asana do you do as the last one of your, your yoga session? Corpse pose. Right. So 
Are you awake and alert? First of all, are you in pain in the corpse pose? No. So in that pose, you're not in pain. Are you alert and awake, or are you falling asleep like the other snorers around you? <laughs> Probably more the latter. Yeah, so that's where the pain of the asana may be the, the rigpa that keeps you awake, while the, the, the comfy corpse pose is just like a good little nap, which is not the point. I mean, it's time to take a nap, you know, go to your nice nap place and take a nap. But right then, it's probably not the place you choose to take a nap. You'd like to be in corpse pose without pain, but resting in the, in the whatever it's called, shavasana, the corpse pose, in the natural state, as we would call it in Dzogchen, right? Not in sleep. So if you think about, if you feel your way into these things, you can discriminate what it takes to keep you awake and attentive. Thank you. Pain is not the same as suffering. How much you suffer from the pain, again, is where the awareness component comes in. And it's not that it could be pain. How about, let's take some other undesirable. How about fear? Let's talk about the rigpa, the positivity, the awakeness of fear. What is it that keeps you from falling asleep when you're driving at 120 miles an hour with your Humvee? <laughs> or on your motorcycle, or skiing the triple black Vajra Diamond Slope, <laughs> while you fall asleep, you know, when you're slowly tootling along and sitting at the red light and uh, sitting on the, I don't know, in the cozy, warm, you know, lift compartment, not on the windy, freezing chairlift. You know, when you're in that bubble-like, I forget what it's called, tram that takes you, gondola. So fear is a big part of that. It's a rigpa of fear. What's wrong with that? It keeps you on edge. I'm not suggesting our practice should be driving at 120 as much as you can. Or skiing straight down with your poles out like this, like kamikaze boy. But... You know, the more challenging the skiing is, the more you pay attention to every bump because any small bump might send you flying and, and killed or something, right? So fear has its own wakeful component. That's like the rig for fear. So try to find what helps keep you awake and not just awake from sleep, but awake from dazed, dozing, spacey, sluggish, kind of distracted by dullness way, what you call sloth. It's not that hard if you look into your own life, you know? Like when you're bored, you fall asleep at dark or eight or nine o'clock, right? When you're excited, when you're engaged, when you're, I don't know, in love, when you're in passion, you stay up all night, you stay up later. When your child's in pain, you stay up all night, you stay up later, right? Mm -hmm. You don't fall asleep at the wheel driving them to the hospital in the middle of the night somehow. Somehow. That's all the rigpa of love, of, of compassion, of caring. So I hope that's helpful. So that's kind of the Dzogchen take on the rigpa of everything. It's very helpful. Thank you. That keeps you awake. And that's why we think the view is more like everything is the Easter parade. Enjoy the floats, whether you like them or not. It's like the parade. You don't fall asleep on the side you know, you don't fall asleep at the parade place. It's fun, whatever comes by, right? Or on Halloween night trick-or-treating with your kids, it's fun. 
while at other times it could, you know, you could be very dozy, uh, just habitually taking your kids to school, whatever the habitual rut feeling is of doing something you always do that you don't have to think to do. That's no challenge. So, you know, I think we're kind of like edging, you know, staying on the edge, but edge of awareness, not edge of reckless death. There's a fine line between. <laughs> Questions, good question, thank you. Yes, sir, over here, Jason. It's good we have a nice, young, energetic mic hopper today. Thank you. On, on the subject of fear um, and its body anxiety, I, I can see where, where they're helpful when they're appropriate. In my situation, they're always there. Yes. And I'm one of those that you talked about. I have three bottles here with me. And when I sit down to meditate, first thing that happens, my heart starts pounding and my mind takes off from there. Mm. So it becomes quite, instead of being a relaxing, it doesn't have to be relaxing, but instead of being a relaxing meditation, it just serves as a platform for, for more anxiety. So first you said you, they're always there. So I'm thinking about underlying fear and anxiety. Correct. But now you're saying when you meditate. So are they always there or they're always there when you sit and meditate? They're always there. So you have underlying fear and anxiety you feel or you think Correct. or the diagnosis is or might be. So you said you came, you have three bottles. Are we talking about three bottles of booze or three bottles of pills or what? Three bottles of pills. Well, I must have 20 bottles of pills. So <laughs> you're, you're, you're good. I mean, what, what's, how many are we allowed? <laughs> and what kind of pills are they? Well, they're, they're all And are they the right pills or the wrong pills for you? Or are they too many, you know, um, double work, triple work pills? You know what I mean? You're taking, the, I don't know, acid suppressant at the same time as you're taking the acid-producing Chinese medicine to, to help with your acid stomach. I don't know, that's kind of my story. You know, with the uppers, with the downers. You know, you're drinking coffee at night so you can stay up right before you go to sleep and then you can't sleep either. So you can't stay up when you're trying to stay up but you can't sleep when you're trying to fall asleep. That's what we do to ourselves. And then we're taking sleeping pills to go to sleep or other things and, and uppers to get up in the morning. And it's just like a yo-yo, but it's not the fun of yo-yo. It's not the fun of roller coaster. It's more like drowning in waves rather than surfing fun. So I might think about that carefully, look into that. The anxiety and fear situation and what's really ameliorative or palliative, palliative for you. And then how it boils down to meditation, of course. You haven't heard me say meditation is supposed to be whatever you said, uh, restful, or I, you know, in a way I've been hinting at putting down the thinking of that it should be calm and clear and without thoughts because that's just a sh big should shooting on, shooting on our heads and that's also very limited that's just a state of mind that's, this great peace is quite different than the dichotomies of noisy and quiet like fulfillment is different than the, the dichotomies of like and dislike you could be very fulfilled in your life even when you're in pain and you get a cancer diagnosis or you could be very unfulfilled in your life when you have perfect health So I'd be interested to know, um, do you have any, you said you have this, this anxiety and fear whenever you meditate. You could look into what it's about. What does meditating provoke in you? 
And how is that same or different than other situations in your life where you say you also have fear and anxiety? And are there some situations in life, I assume there are, where you don't have so much obvious fear and anxiety? And are there any meditations or spiritual situations or practices where you don't have fear and anxiety? I don't know, do you do yoga, exercise, read spiritual things, you know, pray, look at nature, enjoy nature? I don't know. So where's the fear and anxiety then in those, uh, the things you, quote, like to do or find, I don't know, whatever you said, restful or peaceful? And what's the difference between that and being resting in peace here on Sunday with no coercion in this beautiful place and the Open Space Institute, hundreds of woods of beautiful nature sanctuary on the banks of the mighty, somewhat healthy Hudson River with nothing to do and no one to worry about and, uh, you know, I don't know, no kids to worry about or pickups to, you know, emergency text to respond to or, you know, what are we doing to ourselves? So that's why I'm emphasizing this natural awareness way. And also the gratitude and the gracefulness of letting be and allowing what is to come and go as it does with or without our cooperation. So why not get a little more harmonized with the flow? Because it's coming and going without our cooperation or, or with our cooperation. So you choose whether you want to be swimming upstream your whole life or let the current help carry you where you want to go. It doesn't mean you have to go where it goes. You can still cross the river if you want to look at it that way. But if you cross the river and allow the current, the current to carry you, you can eat more easily cross by letting it carry you partly downstream than by just trying to cut straight across the shortest way. is not necessarily the easy, direct way. By using the power of the opponent, it will help you. Not to mention trying to swim upstream. Are you with me with this metaphor? Yes. So I have great fear and anxiety about not getting enlightened in this life. So I try to go with that and let that current drive me to the other shore, but downstream where it's going, but also in the direction that I feel um, called to. You with me? Yes. Not totally against the grain. Because then we start going against the grain of everything in our life, including ourselves, and thinking everything we want or do is bad, and we have to be totally different. Go upstream. Be like somebody else. Be like the Dalai Lama. Of course, we don't know how the Dalai Lama is, but we idealize him as the perfect whatever we're not. How is this going to work? How are we going to get from here to there? Maybe we have to be reborn in Tibet and get recognized as the Dalai Lama when we're four and, uh, you know, hope that that works out in the next life. Even though Tibet is China and being reborn in Tibet and recognized as the Dalai Lama would be like hell. But we don't know that. We're very nice, naively idealistic, over-idealistic. Let's not be so idealistic. Like you're living here in the first world and you look like a member of the upper middle path. So there's a lot to be grateful for besides a little, you know, Fear and anxiety. We all have anxiety about things, this world, don't we? I mean, what a mess. It's healthy. If we didn't have anxiety, if we didn't have fear, maybe we wouldn't survive. If we didn't have anxiety, maybe we wouldn't be motivated to do anything about the mess for the next generations, if not for, like, just today. 
Thank you. So don't prejudge too much the fear and anxiety and the wrongness and how it should go away from having peaceful meditation. Like, you know, we kind of sit there feeling like shit on a stick and we look around. Living Buddha, living Buddha, living Buddha, living Buddha. We imagine, you know, and look at the pictures, living Buddha, living Buddha. We don't know which of them had what, you know, problems. Living Buddha, living Buddha, living Buddha. This is just kind of putting ourselves down. This is what we call comparing mind in the meditation. It's the comparing mind. Don't compare yourself also to how you used to be. That's still comparing mind. We just try to cultivate the nowness awareness and allow it to be aware as it is. That's a very, very profound and potent pithy instruction. I hope that's helpful. And then, of course, we do the chanting and loving kindness. And I hope that allays some fear and anxiety. It does for me. But I don't know, whatever works for you. Thank you for listening to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now Hour. We very much appreciate your support and hope you will continue by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash suryadas and link to the donate button or go to the amazon.com link for all of your purchases. Namaste. Teresiwa.